0: clip i love that clip it's one of the greatest um depictions in all of literature film stage of of the mercy of god just moving through the people of god and and getting to a point where it where it changes lives first time i saw any form of les miserables um, was on on broadway and it was the musical version and it was amazing i was like i'm not a like a musical kind of guy but it just like was so moving and so inspiring um Jean Valjean is a criminal on the run, and this bishop takes him in for the night, and he feeds him, and he gives him a place to stay, and then Jean Valjean kind of turns his back on him, steals his silver, punches him in the head, and takes off. And then when he's caught and brought back, the bishop, not only does the bishop not rat him out, but he gives him the financial means to start over in life. Right, he gives him those candlesticks. In addition, in addition to the silver, he forgives him, and then he cares more about him than the silver, and he gives him the additional silver so he can start over. And that's exactly what Jean Valjean does. And he goes on in the story of Les Miserables to change people's lives. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the mercy of God flowing through the people of God and changing lives. That's our, that's our big idea this morning, and we're in the middle of this teaching series on the book of James that we've called Vital Signs, and so far we've been working for like six or seven weeks getting through the book of James, and the things that we've talked about point to the condition of our mind and point to the condition of our heart, and the things that James pushes us towards, encourages us to, those are not things that earn us a place with Jesus, those are indicators of our life with Jesus. And there are a couple things that impact those vital signs more than anything else. And the first one is our understanding of the perfect, flawless character of God. And then the other thing that we need to understand is our identity in in Jesus. And once we get a handle on those two things, right, when we understand the character of God... And we understand our identity in Jesus, then we can begin to understand the mercy that we are capable of, not only capable of, but the mercy that's expected of us. So, we're going to be reading from James. We're going to look at chapter 2 and just three verses. We're going to look at, um, actually four verses. 10, 11, 12, 13. Chapter 2, starting in verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged according to the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, so four verses that are chalked full of, of stuff. And as we get started, I, I want to start out by defining this biblical idea of, of mercy. And in the Bible, there are these, this concept of word families. There's like a, a, a foundational word, and all these other little words will kind of grow out of it that slightly nuance the meaning of that original word. And for mercy, there's like six, six different word families in the, in the Bible. And first, we're going to look at what mercy is. Life-giving, right? The very fact that we are here, that we're breathing, that we continue to breathe is the mercy of God. Creation is the mercy of God. The mercy of God is tenacious and compassionate. And so think like mama bear, okay? Um, the, the words in the, in the Old Testament refer to like a mother's emotion and care for, for her children. And um, my wife is all about five foot nothing. If you want to be afraid of someone, put one of her children, one of her boys in harm's way. Right? Let's just be really clear about that first. The pecking order, the two dogs, my two sons, and then me. You put any of those, put any of those five people in in harm's way, and you will see Desiah Gale. That doesn't come out very often, but you should be very afraid. Um, the mercy of God is also charitable. It's it's self-sacrificial, it just it it gives to those in need, identifies those in needs, and it gives to them, and it's unlimited. There's verses in the Old, Old Testament that talk about the mercies of God being new every morning and that our, our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west, right? There is no limit to God's mercy for those who come to him and ask for it. That's what mercy is, what mercy does. You go to the next slide, Virginia? Mercy forgives Right, I'm going to refer back to the clip now. The bishop did not hold Jean Valjean accountable for stealing the the clips. He took on he took that on himself. He he forgave him. He didn't rat him out to the to the officials. But what's really interesting is that he did not um, he maintained that balance between justice and and mercy. Like he recognized the. Um, What's the French word? Is it gendarme? I don't know what the French word is for the the police. But um, he recognized them, he thanked them, he offered them a glass of wine, right? And at the same time, he was showing mercy to Valjean. He showed him love, right? Mercy loves loving kindness. He cared more about Valjean than he did about the silver. And the last thing is, it gives. He gave him those additional silver sticks. Valjean took the silver. And then the bishop gave him even more than that so he could go and start over. What mercy is, what mercy does. That's kind of the foundation for our conversation this morning. Let's look at verse 10. And I have highlighted up there for you, stumbles at just one point. So James's audience, there was this, um, this feeling or understanding that if you maintained the, the biggies, the big, the big rules, the big laws... That if you kind of slipped at some of the smaller ones, it was okay. And what James is doing in these verses is he's trying to get us to recognize the person of God in his written word. Right? God's perfect will and his perfect character is represented in his word. And so when we violate even just the smallest piece of that, we violate the character of the perfect God of the Bible. And that's, that's not to say by any means, by any means, that all sins are equally horrible or tragic or terrifying. Um, not at all. What, what we need to recognize, though, is this, is that because God is perfect in every aspect of his character, something that we could not even begin to comprehend, right? Um, even the slightest, the slightest transgression renders us guilty before him and in need of his mercy. So we're in we're in need of his mercy. But you might be like, okay, that's not really. How does that work, right? If you think about if Mo and Charlie and I all stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon and we're like, okay, we're going to we're going to try and jump the Grand Canyon. Right? Charlie would probably get the farthest and then Mo, she might be a little bit closer. And then I would just like trip off the edge and fall and, and come crashing down, right? But none of us would make it. Nobody can jump the great. That's, that's, that's what the idea of the perfection of God and us trying to, to meet him that way through the law. It's something that we cannot attain. There are some will do better at it than others, but bottom line is, is we, we can't attain it and it leaves us all in need of his mercy. So this idea of the all sin kind of being, uh, having us found guilty before God should do a couple of things, right? It should eliminate a couple of things. The first thing it should eliminate is this idea of, of comparison, right? If, all, if, if God holds us all accountable for what we do, then um, we can't just pick somebody out and say, oh, well, at least I'm not running around every night, you know, doing whatever, sleeping with somebody else's wife, I'm okay, Right? Comparison, our only point of comparison is a perfect holy God. We come up short. It should eliminate this idea of pet sins, right? Those pet sins, I, I actually I was doing research for this and I found this term, pet sins. Um, those, those things that we think are acceptable or even, even necessary. Look, man, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know how stressed I am. You don't know how much I have to do. So what? So I pop a couple of my kids riddling every once in a while. Right? Necessary. Acceptable. Maybe. Or how about this one? Well, it, if I don't, like, if, if I don't point out what that person's doing wrong, then how are they going to be held accountable? There's a difference between being there for somebody and speaking the truth and love and being a judgy jerk, right? It eliminates this idea of of pet sins. How about monster sins? It eliminates those as well, right? The idea of monster sins, those sins that are, are so horrific, those sins that the church has got to do something about, the playing field is level. Because the truth is is that the majority of those monster sins are monsters because they're not yours you can look out and see somebody else doing them and they're not the ones that you struggle with those are the ones that we tend to identify as that's horrible that somebody has to do something about that that all goes away and the last thing that this idea of all sin any sin rendering us guilty before god does is it eliminates misunderstandings it eliminates the possibilities of any other route to god other than the work of Jesus on the cross. And specifically, it eliminates the idea that we could be good enough to earn a place with God. Jesus is the only one that lived a perfect life. And then he died like one of us for our imperfections. Because of the cross and what Jesus did on the cross, we are seen as innocent. Jesus' perfect life led him to the cross. And in the cross, we find the mercy. We find the mercy of Christ. Does that make sense? In In our understanding, God's character, right? God's character, he is perfect. Our identity in Christ, we are desperately in need. We can't Earn our way to God. Jesus steps in. We are objects of the mercy of Jesus. And that's how God sees us when he views us. Objects of mercy. He looks at us and he sees Jesus. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, you are an object of mercy. Virginia, put that next slide up. Objects of mercy are meant to be conduits and not containers. Right, let me read that again. We, you, me, if you're walking with Jesus, you are an object of mercy. Objects of mercy are meant to be conduits and not containers. Things flow through a conduit. Things go into a container and they stay there. All right, let's move on. Verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. James likes this phrase, the law that gives freedom. He used it in chapter 1. And when we talked about it in chapter 1, I defined it to you as the Old Testament ethic as lived, taught, and altered by Jesus. So in the Old Testament, there were 600 plus laws. And Jesus was born as a man, 100% man, 100% God. And he fulfilled every one of them perfectly. Met every single one of them. And then... He died like somebody who kept none of them. He willingly laid down his life and accepted that penalty that we deserve. That's the first piece. So the second piece is, right, so Jesus altered the Old Testament ethic. He elevated the importance of the heart and the fact that all of our actions flow out of our heart. And he lowered the importance of this idea of keeping up external appearances, I could be like a horrible, crusty person on the inside, but as long as I'm like keeping up appearances and I'm going to church and I'm saying the right things, doing the right things, that's okay. Jesus came and said, no, that's not it. Um, In these verses, James refers to murder and adultery. And there's a couple reasons Bible scholars think that he picks those two. They're obviously the pretty, pretty big ones in the original top 10. Um, but there was also a group of really, uh, they were called zealots, uh, of Jewish folks who were willing to, uh, to kill the Roman oppressors in order to further the cause of the Jewish people. And they felt that that was okay. Right? So they, were, they weren't committing adultery, but they were, they were killing people. And they felt that was okay. So James was, also, was trying to address that. The other thing that James does, and I mentioned this last week, is he refers back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about murder and he talks about adultery. And I'm going to try and get these right, but what I think he's, if I'm remembering right, what he said was, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you that if you look at a man with hate in his heart, hate in your heart, you have already committed murder. And then he does the same thing with adultery. He said, you have heard it said. Right? If you commit adultery, it's a sin. But if, I'm telling you, if you look at someone else with lust in your heart in a lustful way, you have already committed adultery. So James is referring back to what Jesus was doing there. And Jesus took two of the biggies and he made them applicable to all of us. He took two things that like not vet- not so many people were are guilty of. And he said, "No, it's not about the actual action, it's about your heart and what comes out of your heart." So <clears throat> this the the law that gives freedom, Jesus took it and he altered it and he made it about He made it about the heart Jesus fulfilled everything he kind of ramped up what was expected of us and then so we it's up to us right if we come to a point where we believe that Jesus fulfilled every single one of those laws and we believe in his teachings That it's the heart, it's what comes out of the heart that matters. And we say, God, I can't do this on my own. Then we receive his mercy. When we receive his mercy, we are freed from sin and death. We are freed from the exhausting, the exhausting practice of trying to keep up our external appearances. Because of the perfect life, innocent death and triumphant resurrection of Jesus... Because he fulfilled the justice that a perfect and holy God requires, we are freed to be all about mercy. So I'm going to try and encapsulate what I just spent the last 10 minutes trying to explain. The perfect character of God. The the sin-created need in us... And the mercy showed to us reveal the mercy that's required of us. God's character, perfect. Our identity in Christ as people who were forgiven tremendous amount and viewed as holy now because of that. And then God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pours his mercy out on us and then we're to take that mercy and let it flow through us out and onto other people the next verse chapter or verse 13 because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful Jesus told a story Um, He was talking to his disciples that kind of really exemplifies this in in a big way, and I want to read it to you. It's from Matthew chapter 18, um, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Nothing compared to the 10,000 talents that he owed the first guy. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The mercy that is shown to us is the mercy... That's expected from us. This guy, the first guy, his heart wasn't changed by the fact that he was forgiven this huge debt that he had. That there was no way that he could ever repay. His heart wasn't changed by it. And so his actions weren't changed by it. We we don't do things like show mercy to earn a place with God. We show mercy because we've already been shown mercy. It's an indication, right? As a vital sign, the mercy we show reveals the mercy that's been shown to us. That's an indication of how you're tracking with God. Each and every one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus have a huge debt that has been forgiven. We have been shown more mercy than we could possibly fathom. Our lives should, could, we are capable of reflecting, of reflecting that mercy. Um, so the question then becomes, right, what does the mercy that you are showing reveal about the mercy that you've received? Jesus stepped into my life at the end of my high school career when I, was, when I was 18. And because of the mercy shown to me, um, Jesus took me from a foul-mouthed, arrogant hooligan and moved me to hopefully much less of a foul-mouthed, arrogant hooligan. Because of Jesus' mercy, um, I now have a purpose. I know what my purpose is. I had a purpose before. I just didn't recognize it. Because of Jesus' mercy to me, my position in eternity is secured. And I try to live that way. Right? That's the first place it's got to start. It's got to start with recognizing our position before Jesus and asking for that mercy. And then it's the mercy of other people and the effect that that has on us. Right? My mom was merciful to me because I was a horrible teenager. And as a result of the mercy shown to me by my mother, hopefully... I'm a better parent. My wife shows me mercy every day because of the garbage that she puts up with from me. And because of it, hopefully, not hopefully, I do, I strive to be a better man. Each of the major victories in my life, not each of many of them, many of them, many of the major victories in your life are the result of the mercy of God flowing through other people to you. Right, and that's where we come to the very last phrase of this passage, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's that's where this stuff starts starts to happen. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So how does how does it do that? It starts with coming before God and asking for his forgiveness, right? That's where it's got to start. Um, mercy, is, it gives us the ability, it, it, it places the expectation upon us that we would step into the lives of other people. And show them God's mercy that we would step in and that we would snatch triumph out of the jaws of defeat that we would step into people's lives and let God's mercy flow flow through us so really really specifically how does that how can we do that let's talk about a couple ways that we can do that and we're going you know going back to the clip the word families the origin of the word mercy First thing is forgiveness. Two things about forgiveness that I would, I would point out to you. Um, one, maybe you're in contact with somebody. Maybe there's somebody in your life who does not know the forgiveness of Jesus. And maybe they need to hear your story. Maybe you need to invite them to church. Maybe you need to just go have coffee with them. Maybe you need to go work out with them. And just spend some time with them so you can share your life and they can see how the mercy of God works in and through somebody. That's scary and it's challenging, right? Sharing your faith, especially at a time in our culture when faith is supposed to be a private thing and you can get in trouble for sharing your faith. Um, the The second part of forgiveness might be even scarier. There's somebody... Is there somebody in your life that you need to forgive? Is there somebody that's that's hurt you? Is there somebody something that you need to let go of that you need to trust God for the judgment part of that? Remember God is a perfect judge, perfectly just, and he will take care of that. Our job, we're freed because of God's perfect justice. We're freed. To show mercy. Is there somebody in your life who needs the forgiveness of Jesus? Is there somebody in your life who you need to forgive? The second part of mercy triumphing is a display of love. Loving kindness. Uh, There's somebody in your life who needs you to smile at them. Simple, easy, right? There's somebody in your life who needs a text. Hey, man, thinking about you. What are you doing today? Somebody who needs a phone call. Wanna go grab coffee? Somebody who needs a meal. Somebody who just wants to sit across the table from with you. Share some good food and some good conversation, and know that they matter such a powerful thing and it's one of the ways that mercy moves is by demonstrating loving-kindness the last one is uh, is generosity there's somebody in your life who could use a couple of bucks I'm not talking about me I'm not talking about the church I'm talking about somebody that you know Somebody who's struggling, somebody who's struggling to pay a bill, somebody who's making a decision between medicine for their kid and food on the table. And you got a couple extra bucks in your pocket. You can do something about it. That's the mercy of God. That's one of the ways that mercy triumphs. I know a whole school full of kids in Kenya who could use a couple of bucks. I know a rescue mission right down the street. And the people who go there looking for food every day, who looking for somebody to help them recover, could use a couple of bucks. God's mercy moves powerfully in and through the generosity of his people. Becomes really difficult when it's all three of them. Somebody in your life who you need to forgive, who God may grant you the opportunity to show some love, who might need just some resources. Imagine the difference you can make in somebody's life by doing all three of those things. Yeah, it's hard. It's not as hard as the cross. Right? The mercy that is we are capable of, you are capable of that. I don't want you for one second to think, I can't, I can't do, that's like super religious guy stuff. That's not for me. Because you have been shown the mercy of Christ, you are capable of that. And not only are you capable of it, but it's expected of you. Mercy triumphs because mercy is about beginnings. Mercy is about second chances. Mercy is about restored relationships. Mercy changes people's destinies. You can turn somebody's life around by showing them the mercy of God that you've received. The triumph of mercy starts when we come before God and we humbly ask for his mercy in Jesus. The triumph of mercy continues when the mercy that we show to others is the mercy that's been shown to us The the triumph of mercy is complete when the mercy of God flows through the people of God into the lives of others and it changes their lives so they look more like Jesus. The triumph of mercy begins and ends with Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much um, that you are so merciful, that you can take this huge debt that we could never repay, um, our, our shortcomings, um, the little things, the big things, the matters of our heart that just flow out of us in ways that we don't want them to. And yet you forgive us and you love us and you give us good gifts. We thank you so much for that mercy and Lord, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would make us the kind of people that that mercy would flow through.